I'm not, I'm not sure how I deserve that, but that's cool. That's just, yeah. Stop it, stop it, stop it. No. Um, hey, we're, uh, we're in a sermon series called Dilemma. And really, uh, what we're doing in this series is we're actually uh, kind of listening in, taking a peek at six moments in which Jesus encountered people's lives, and in the process of encountering Jesus, their lives were thrown into dilemma. I, I think very often when we have this picture of Jesus, we think He's, well, He's kind of this mild-mannered, soft-spoken, quiet kind of a guy. And yet, if you take the time to actually read the Gospels and go through the life of Christ, you find that in many ways just the opposite is true, that Jesus was such a forceful presence. His words were so defining, so line-drawing that you could not encounter Jesus Christ and not be left at the end of that knowing that you had to make a decision, that what He has said was so impactful, so clear-cut that you had a choice to make. You were either going to do what He had just challenged and brought forth for you to do, or you were going to walk away and reject His teaching. Thus the dilemma. You could not meet Jesus and be the same after the encounter. And what we find is, is that the more that you and I come to know Jesus Christ, the more you and I listen to what He said, our lives get into the same dilemma. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and not have moments in which you say, boy, what, what do I do now that I know that? Do I go on trying to live my life the same as I did before I had that conversation with God, or am I going to change? Am I going to adjust my life to what God just said to me? Dilemma. Uh, today, we're going to uh, take a look at a guy who came face-to-face with Jesus Christ, struggled, struggled, struggled uh, in the moment, and ultimately made the wrong decision. Uh, we're going to take a look at Judas uh, Iscariot, uh, the disciple who Jesus called, said, come, follow me, and ultimately turned down the offer, ultimately rejected Jesus and betrayed Him. And I think very often in Scripture, there's not a lot that we get told about Judas, but I, I think for most of us, we, we go, I, I don't get this. I don't understand. How, how can you be that close to Jesus? How can you be there for three and a half years during His ministry? And in the end, your conclusion is, no, none of the above. How, how do you rub your fingers across the healed flesh of a leper and then say no? How do you sit at the table with a guy who was born blind and now he has 20-20 vision and say, I, you know, I, no. How do you listen to Jesus teach in person and miss it? See, I think for many of us, we'd say, boy, I, I wish I'd had that up. I wish I could have been there, talked to Jesus. I got a couple questions I would have asked in that moment. My faith would be so much easier if I had had that exposure. So how do you get that close? How do you 
end up betraying Jesus Christ? The answer is actually fairly simple. Somewhere in the journey, somewhere in the process, Judas just flat out gets stuck. Uh, He gets to a point where he says, I know what Jesus is asking. He's asking me to make a decision to become a fully devoted follower of him. I'm not sure he knows what he's doing. I'm not not sure I'm willing to give up some of the things that are still part of my old life. And Judas finds himself in no man's land. He, He finds himself in this spot between commitment and devotion and allowing Jesus to be Lord and still longing for what used to be his life, his old dreams. And, and now he's there. He's, he's in this place that really in many ways doesn't exist, but the, this place of neutrality that says, look, I'm, I'm neither for nor am I against. I'm just stuck somewhere, somewhere on this line in the middle. And Judas has a hard time getting off the line. Here's the interesting thing this morning. Here's why you and I are having this conversation. There's a likelihood this morning within this room some of us are stuck. Some of us find ourselves in exactly that same moment going, look, I I get it. I get that if I was to ever really surrender, if I was ever really to decide to give myself over to being a follower of Jesus Christ, I mean, my life would have to change. There's stuff that I'm still hanging on to that Jesus would ask me to give up. There are closets that Jesus would peek into and want to unpack in my life. I loved what Jeff Cookie said last week, that Jesus is a lot like a visiting mother-in-law. He's going to snoop a little bit. And that's true. You can't become a devoted follower of Jesus Christ that He won't ultimately open every cabinet turn the knob on every closet and say, hey, we need to talk about this. And so it's just, I, I, I'm just not ready. I can't make that commitment in my life yet. I'm terrified. And yet, we stand in this moment, we go, but I remember the old stuff. I remember the old, I remember how miserable it was to be on this side of Jesus. And I remember what it was like pre-decision. And I, it's, it's really weird, Lynn, because there's part of it that I just absolutely hate. There's part of it that I'm just totally done with. I don't ever want to see that part of my life again. But if I was honest, there's part of it that I'm still deeply attracted to. There's, there's part of that that I just wish I could take with me as I follow Jesus. And because I know I can't, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. And here's what you and I are going to discover. You can't live a Christian life stuck. That that this position, this position of I'm only half in and I'm half out, this position of neutrality will ultimately come back and bite you. You can't live here. Judas tried. Let's let's figure out how this uh, happened for him. It, it really begins in many ways for Judas just simply with a disagreement over methodology. Judas, Judas is pretty sure that Jesus is Messiah. He's, he's ready to get there. Here's the thing. Judas, in all likelihood, is a zealot. Uh, he, he is a guy who is looking for a political answer for Israel. See, he grew up as a kid watching the abuse 
of Jewish men at the hands of the Romans. He watched the harassment of women, and maybe even worse, by soldiers. He's lived every day of his life being a second-class citizen. And believe me, he's ready. He is ready for Messiah. But in his heart, what he's hoping for is a political Messiah, a Messiah that will remove the oppression of the oppressors. He's not that interested in a spiritual Messiah who removes the oppression of sin. See, Judas is pretty sure if he was God, what he would do next. And he's convinced that the only way that Israel will ever be delivered is for them to bring up arms to overthrow the Roman rule. And he's waiting. In his heart, he simply says, if that leader ever came, if that one who could rally the hearts of men were to ever show up, I'd follow him. And then comes Jesus. And he joins. And he hopes. And he waits. And then comes the day. There comes the day that Jesus can pull it off. That, that exactly what he's been wanting, exactly what he's been dreaming, exactly what, you ready? The obvious answer for what God needs to do next is right there. In all likelihood, that day came a couple times in the occasions as Judas was following Jesus, but surely on this day. It's the feeding of the 5,000. Some of you know the story. Uh, Jesus has been out teaching all day long. His sermon goes a little bit on the long side, probably a Baptist. Uh, they're on the 15th verse of just as I am. No one's coming forward, so he says, sing it again. Oh. And then Jesus says, hey, it, you know, it's time to break up, time to go ahead and, and uh, go home. But uh, it's too late. It's too late uh, for anyone to start now, this late in the afternoon, trying to prepare the afternoon meal. Uh, disciples, uh, you guys give them something to eat, to which the disciples go, there's, it's just, it, it, everybody's eating everything. Uh, that was way, that was point number one in your 15-point sermon, Jesus. And all we've got left are these five little biscuits and two little fish that this little boy brought along and hasn't dug into yet. But where, where, where would that land? And Jesus, you know the story, says, well, go ahead and go as far as you can. Distribute uh, what you can. And lo and behold, in that moment, all of a sudden, Jesus multiplies the fish and the loaves and everybody eats. 5,000 men plus women and children. And the Bible says that they literally loaded basketfuls of the scraps of the leftovers. And as the people see the moment, as they get it, they're ready for Messiah. They're ready to go, let's make this guy king. Because if he can do that with five biscuits and two little fish, imagine what he could do. And the crowd is poised. The crowd is ready. Matter of fact, Scripture says they were ready by force to make Jesus king. And if you're Judas in the moment, think about, if you're Judas, you're already uh, filling out your nameplate for the new cabinet position in the government. 
See, you're already, you're in this moment, you're going, land, whoo, man, this is it. This is, this, I, put, I put my money on the right guy. The, everything I ever hoped is about to happen. Wow. It's interesting what Jesus does. Grab your Bibles real quick. It's John chapter 6. If you're not familiar with Scripture, if you go to the back cover and then work to the left, you're going to find this book of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's actually part of what we call the Gospels, the four books that chronicle the life of Jesus. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 14. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is come into the world. Jesus, ready? Knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force. So you get the moment. If you're Judas, you're going, This is it. This is it. Everything I wanted, everything I hoped for, Jesus is just about ready to deliver. This is interesting for you and me because truth be told, some of us came to Jesus this same way. See, we got in because we said, look, I, I get that my old way of life isn't working. I, I, get that, I get that living my life the way everybody else lives their life is a broken way to live. And what we imagined in that moment and maybe what the televangelist told us when we prayed the prayer was, if you'll give your heart to Jesus, then everything comes up roses. All your problems fade away. Your wallet swells. Uh, every, every problem of life, you get to skate over because you got Jesus. Watch what happens next. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and to make him king by force, withdrew. Withdrew. Again, this isn't the first time. This isn't the only time that he could have been king. And he withdraws again to a mountain by himself. You remember the first time in your life when you realized that God wasn't going to behave the way you wanted him to? See, you, you had the plan. I mean, you said, look, the easiest way between two spots is a straight line. And God, I'm just telling you, what you need to do next in my, is just so obvious. And God withdrew. You remember where you were the first time you realized that God wasn't going to do things the way you had planned? See, some of us were going to the mailbox every day and we kept getting that notice that said, your house is in foreclosure. And the first time it came, we said, well, it's still 90 days, so I mean, God could still do something. And then the next time it came, it was 60 days and then 45 days. And each time you walked to the mailbox, there was just a bigger letter and darker pink. And you kept saying to yourself, God, 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 this is easy. 
See, I'm supposed to go to the mailbox. There's supposed to be that envelope stuffed with cash from an anonymous donor. And then I'm supposed to stand up at Thanksgiving service and give the, you will never believe what God did for me testimony. This is easy, God. I mean, it's, you, we both know what you need to do next. Remember where you were the first time you realized that God wasn't always going to behave the way you wanted Him to behave? It's a marriage that's in trouble. And, I mean, by your own admission, you didn't necessarily do the things you should have done, and maybe you were neglectful, and maybe you weren't invested, but, but once you realized there was problems, once you realized things were critical, you wholeheartedly bought, I mean, you bought in, and since that day forward, you have been the husband that you should have been. You, you've been the wife that he always hoped for. I mean, it's pretty obvious what God is supposed to do next. See, He's supposed to come, get on His knees in front of you and say, I don't know what I was thinking. <coughs> and instead, you're in the lawyer's office signing papers. Do you remember where you were the first time you realized that God wasn't always going to behave the way you wanted Him to? This is a parent walking out of the doctor's office. And the doctors just looked at you with big eyes and said, I, I have no idea what's wrong with your child or how to fix it. I can just tell you it is deathly serious. And you prayed a prayer as you got in that car. And you said, God, just, this is easy, just heal. Say the word. Everybody will know you're God. Everybody will get it. Remember where you were? The first time you figured out that God wasn't always going to act the way you wanted God to act. He wasn't always going to do what you would do if you were God. And now Judas finds himself stuck. I want to follow. I mean, I, I, I want. But God has just disappointed. I feel like he's let me down. So I'm scared to go forward and I'm scared to go back. Now guys, this is why this is huge for us. It's because some of us sitting in the room have had exactly this experience in our Christian life. I mean, this is exactly what has caused us to struggle. This is why we haven't been able to go forward with God. This is why some of us walked away for a while. Because we got to the moment, it was obvious what God was supposed to do, and then God retreated. God went off to the mountainside and left you and I in the middle of it. And we've never gotten over the fact that God didn't behave the way we wanted Him to behave. And we find ourselves in no man's land. 
It's interesting how Judas, I think, responds. I think, I think if you read between the lines in the story, you get a sense of what's going on in this guy's mind uh, in the moment. And here's what he simply does. He simply says, look, if I can't depend on you, then I'll depend on myself. If, if you're not going to come through for me, then I'll come through for myself. Go with me to another passage. It's in John chapter 12, so it's going to be just a little bit to the right in your Bible. John chapter 12. starting in verse 4. Here's the moment, and some of you have heard this story before too. Uh, there's a woman who comes to Jesus and, and in a show of just absolute reverence and love for Him, takes an incredibly expensive bottle of perfume, begins to pour it on Jesus' feet and wipe the perfume across His feet using her hair. Judas, in the moment, gives commentary. Here we go. John chapter 12, starting in verse 4. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, Jesus, objected. Why wasn't the perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Okay, you got to get, Judas doesn't start here. This is where Judas gets to. And I'm pretty, here's what I think is happening in the heart of Judas. He's saying, look, look, it, God, if you're not going to deliver, if you're not going to perform, then, then I'm going to have to at least look out for myself until you decide to get back to the business of being God. And so what Judas does in that moment, and apparently he has an attraction to money, it's, it, it, for Judas it's, it's the sin. You know what I'm talking about, we've all got the sin, we've all got that thing which is the last thing we're ever going to give up, it's the last thing we're ever going to put in submission to Christ, it's that sin for Judas. And for Judas it's dollars, and I, I don't know why it's dollars, I don't know why it's money. I don't, I don't know if in the moment he's saying, look, I just need security. I, I don't know how this is going to end up. I don't know where this whole following Jesus thing is going to land, and so I'm just going to have a little bit stashed away as a retirement account, as a rainy day fund, a little bit of security in my life. Or maybe it's just simpler. He's just materialistic. Maybe he's just saying, look, I just like stuff. And if following you doesn't mean we're going to end up with this great kingdom and the Romans, you know, then I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to get stuff however I need to get stuff. But if you're not going to do what you need to do, God, then you ready? You owe me a sin or two. Now, this is, this is important because you and I have had this same conversation. You and I have had moments where we've looked at God and said, look, 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 God, if you're not going to fix it, if you're not going to take care of it, then I will lend a hand. I'm, I'll, I'll make sure how this turns out. And, and we find ourselves in here, we find ourselves in no man land saying, look, look, I would be ready to follow you if, you'd ever, if you would ever, but since you're not, then I'm, I'm going to 
hang on to this thing in my life. This is the little girl who sees a young man across the room and says, God, that's, that's the one. I mean, I, I already know that's the one. And, and if you would simply let him like me, he, he's a Christian, he likes going to church, he's a great guy, and he's darn good looking. And then one day he walks in holding hands with someone else. And she says in her heart, God, what you needed to do was so obvious. What, I was ready, I mean. And God, if you can't land it, then I'll fix it. And now she's dating a young man that she knows darn well in her heart. God would never choose for her. He's lukewarm at best in his faith, and church seems to be a kind of inconvenience in his life. But if God's not going to provide, she'll provide for herself. This is a guy in a less than passionate marriage. He feels like he's done what he needs to do and provided what he needs to provide, and, and the bedroom just isn't what he ever hoped. And he's even prayed. He's even said, hey, God, would you just make my wife feel differently about the bedroom? And now he sits on the computer late at night looking at pornography. Because his answer is, God, if you won't provide, I'll provide for myself. See, truth be told, there's a little bit of Judas in all of us. There's a little bit of that moment that simply says, God, if you're not going to perform, if you're not going to, then I'm not sure I'm ready to commit, and I, I need to be sure that I take care of myself. And each of us has that thing, which is the last that we'll ever give up, the last thing we'll ever commit because if we ever gave that up, that would mean I'm all the way in. And I'm just not sure I can trust God that far. <laughs> Judas is in a dilemma. Remember we said if you come into contact with Jesus, if you hear what he says, if you get the challenge that he brings, you will end up in a dilemma. And here's the dilemma. He's saying, look, I, I want to follow you. I, I want to be in. I just can't bring myself to commit. I, I, I just, I, I, can't, I can't get off the line. It's too terrifying. It's too frightening. I'll lose control. And so instead, he, he spends his entire career as a disciple doing this, trying to balance following Jesus and hanging on to his old life. And he's miserable. 
You, you, get, you, get, you get that no man's land is miserable. <laughs> you're neither getting the benefits of following Jesus, and you're not getting the benefits of a life of sin. You're only a half-hearted sinner and only a half-baked saint, and neither of them satisfies. You can't stay here. And what Judas finds out is you'll end up choosing. You'll end up one way or the other. It happens on the night in which he betrays Jesus Christ. Grab your Bibles one more time. It's Luke. It's going to be back to the left. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Jesus has been in the garden. He knows he's going to die the next day. He's been praying the prayer. Remember the prayer? Hey, God, look, if there's, if there's any other way to get people to heaven other than me going to a cross, let's try the other way. Remember that prayer? And then he closes it with, but nevertheless, God, I will do whatever you want me to do. He's gone to the disciples now a couple times because they keep falling asleep during uh, the prayer meeting. And in this moment, as he's talking to his disciples, here comes Judas with the Romans. Isn't, isn't, isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting, the bedfellows we make, that those who used to be enemies, we align our lives with when we get confused about God. Luke chapter 22, verse 47, while he was still speaking, this is Jesus, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas one of the twelve as was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Now this is an interesting moment that I think because you and I don't necessarily understand it, we kind of blow through in the story of Judas. I think it is incredibly interesting that Judas decides in this moment of betrayal to greet Jesus with a kiss. And here's especially why. This, a, a kiss in this culture isn't just like a handshake would be to you and me. The truth is, the Bible says they came up in a crowd. I mean, Jesus sees, the, I mean, everyone knows what the moment is. So why a kiss? And, and, and again, what this moment signifies and what's happening is, this, this, would, be, this would be equivalent to today if you came up and pounded fists. You're my homeboy. You can tell I do that all the time. I, I, it, it, it's grabbing that guy's hand and doing the old chest bump thing. This is, this is saying, look, dude, we're, we're brothers, man. I mean, this is, when you came in this day with the kiss, you were saying, look, you are a person of deep honor in my life. You get what Judas is trying for. He's still dead on the line. He's trying to say, look, Jesus, I love you. I love you. You're my homeboy. I'm with you. I just... You ready? Can't commit to you. 
But if in this moment, if, if you say the word, if, if, if we're going to grab swords, if, we're gonna, if you're going to finally get on and do what you're supposed to do, Jesus, then I'll, I'll, even, I'll even grab a sword. I think Judas comes to that last moment and says, look, if Jesus, if you would just wake up, I love you. I just can't commit to you because you're not doing this the way I want you to do it. It's kind of like being in a relationship and the person that you love says, hey, no, 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 I love you. I just can't commit to you because I've got the old girlfriend still. Years ago, I was working in a church and one of the gals who also worked at the church and came in and wanted to do a little bit of counseling and I said, well, you know, what, what's going on? And She said, I just found out last night that my husband's been going down the street and sleeping with one of my neighbors. And so I confronted him. I said, what's going on? And here's what he told me. He said, I love you. I still want to be married to you. I just want the freedom to go down the street a couple nights a week. Now, this was an interesting moment because one thing about this little gal is that she was kind of a peacekeeper, kind of a highly accommodating gal. And I just thought, wow, what is she going to do with this? Because this guy had run over her all their married life. So I asked her, I said, what did you say? She said, I told him, no way. You either commit to me or you commit to her. You get that's the moment. That, that Jesus would have said it this way. If anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He who tries to save his life will lose it, but he who's willing to lose his life for me will find it. And Jesus would say, commit. Make your choice. Judas doesn't realize that in his moment of non-committal, he made a commitment. That, that, that ultimately, all the balancing act in the world, as long as he stayed in, he was already here. And you and I, some of us in this room this morning who've come in here and said, Lynn, I, I'm the guy on the line. You really, you've already made the decision. And the only way to change it is change it. Commit. To in this moment say, no, no, Jesus, I will be a follower of you. Even in the moments when you don't perform the way I think you should perform. Even in the moments when you poke in my life in the places I don't want poked. Count me in. I'm done going down to visit the neighbor. Let's pray.
I'm just going to ask you to be super, super honest in this moment in your life. Which side of the line? Please, please tell me you're not on the line. Dear Lord Jesus, I, I simply come in this moment and I simply ask, would you speak, would you create the dilemma this morning? Would your words ring through this room? If anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. That God, if there's any of us in this room who are sitting on the line, today would be the day. Today would be the day we're done. Today would be the day that we commit to being sold out, unapologetic followers of our God. Hey, I'm just going to ask in this room with heads bowed and eyes closed, If you came into this room today and you go, man, Lynn, I, I am the line sitter. I have. I've, I've been in that place of absolute terror, afraid to commit to God and afraid to walk away. I, I thought I would be able to navigate this for the rest of my life. It's no man's land. And today, today, I'm going to put a stake in the ground. Today, I'm getting off the line. Today, I'm going to follow Jesus all the way. And if that's you, and if that's a decision you're making in your life with nobody looking around, every head's bowed, would you just raise your hand and say, Lynn, I'm making that decision. All right, all, in the, all through this room. Who else? Good deal. Good deal. Who else? Okay. Let me pray for you. Dear Lord Jesus, we've, we've straddled the kingdom and we've straddled the world. We've, we looked at moments and said, if I were God, I wouldn't have done what you just did. And we've come to this moment in our lives and we've said, look, I love you, God. I, I just don't know that I can commit. God, it's brought a dilemma. It's brought, it's brought a moment that's absolutely untenable in our lives. And we know, we know from the very depths of our hearts, we've got to make a call. We've got to decide to either follow or walk away. And today, today we choose to follow, to make you Lord of our lives. This we pray in Jesus' name.